Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 141 of the Freight 360 Podcast. We took the week off last week, Ben. It's kind of a, it's a first. I know. I think that is literally the first week we've missed. Um, yeah. Since we started, um, I was on the road for the army. I know you were under the weather, and you know what though? We we did a throwback episode of uh, how to find shippers. It's like one of the most commonly requested topics. Um, but today we're gonna we're gonna talk sales again. We're gonna we're gonna um, expand on what we did a few weeks ago when we talked about your pipeline. We're gonna talk about managing your pipeline today, um, and I think it's a really important topic because a lot of folks. When they get in the brokerage, one of the biggest things they run into is getting customers and getting business. So we're going to talk through that. But first, welcome back. We're glad you're with us. Make sure to share us with all of your friends out there. Our Facebook group's up to like 40,000, I think, at this point, just under 40,000. Um, getting some garbage in there. We got like, to try and keep it cleaned up, but a lot of good content and people networking in there. and. Um, keep the questions coming. We're, you know, we're always happy to answer anything that comes through. So, um, yeah, I'm in South Carolina this week. So another change of scenery here. And, um, it's a little bit, it's warmer than, than Buffalo's been, but, uh, yeah, it's good. So close to the beach are you? What's that? You guys pretty close to the ocean? Yeah. So we're in a, uh, my wife's uh, family rented this same house last year. Um, it's like a blo- uh, maybe two block or two blocks, block and a half ish from the uh, from the ocean. It's a quick walk, like a few minute walk. But uh, nice. it's funny. So like I, I I post up in the like office in this house while everyone else is having everybody a good else time. plays. But, yeah, but it's a uh, story of my life. Yep, but you know. <laughs> This is life. It's good stuff. So, well, hey, here's the uh, upside. Like, you get to look out the window and everybody else enjoying it. Like, I can look out my window. I see the pool. I can see my daughter and everybody playing. My wife. Everybody's having yep. cocktails in the afternoon, and we're yep. in here making money. Well, I look out the window for here, and I see a, gra- a gravel parking <laughs> area. But uh, the back of the house is a lot nicer. There's a pool <laughs> and stuff. So, um, cool. So, hey, sports. Um, I know we're going to talk golf in a second here, but. My Boston Red Sox, who have had a terrible start to their season, um, as of today, which is the 25th, Wednesday, they're on a six-game winning streak, and they're, st- I mean, they're still two games out of being at 500, but they're, they're showing some really big victories the last, uh, last week or so, and uh, it's, you know, it's uplifting as a, as a you know, depressed Red Sox fan recently. Um, but yeah. being a Pirates fan. <laughs> yeah. It's like 25 years of it since McClatchy bought the team. The they, I think 90s. they went like they went like 18 seasons without a winning record. I think something like that. Maybe 20. Yeah. I don't even know. Yep. It, was, it was rough. Well, the I worst remember, part is it's like almost intentional. It's as if they aren't even trying and nobody cares, and it's just yep. it is what it is. And that's the part that's frustrating. You're like, wow, yeah, like they're literally not even trying. So the NFL schedule was released a couple of weeks ago. Um, didn't get to chat about it last week. I was, I think I was like, uh, I think the last episode we did um, on Bad Dad, I was like going through some of like the, the leaked um, mm-hmm. schedule release stuff. But anyway, the Bills have like five primetime games. Opening up on the road in LA against the, the Super Bowl champ Rams and then hosting the Titans on Monday night the following week. Um, 
I don't know. I I absolutely love the the Bills schedule this year. So they have no reason that they that they can't win every single one of those games. Obviously, you know, obviously that's not realistic. Um, but every single one of them is a winnable game. It, you know, ten years ago you'd be like, ah, they're gonna lose to the Patriots. They're gonna lose to you know this that. But no, it's a it's a good it's a good time for uh, Bills Mafia. Um, what happened in the uh, the the golf world though? This is PGA. this is something that was kind of crazy, huh? Yeah, well, honestly, it was probably one of the, I don't want to say the best finals to a major, but I mean, it was an absolutely fantastic afternoon of golf. Um, uh, guy I'd really never heard of, Mito Pereira, I think he's from Chile. Yeah, Chilean And um, Will Zelatoris were pretty much, but Mito had the lead all day. In fact, I was just telling you this before we aired was, they even made a point to say like, you know, this is the first major where a where it was going to be won by someone that never won a major in a while. I think it was like for the previous 19 majors were won by someone that else had already won one. It was some yeah. ridiculous stat. And then on the 18th hole, Mito ends up putting it in the water. I think he doubled it. I can't remember yeah, exactly. Double bogeyed. Double bogeyed. And then Will Zalatoris comes into first. And the crazy part was Justin Thomas like wasn't even really in the top five all morning and was tied for eighth on Saturday. And just out of nowhere, ties for first to put it into a playoff. So the guy leading all day Sunday doesn't even make the playoff. A guy that's five or six a few hours ago ends up tying Will Zalatoris to go into a three-hole playoff. And Justin Thomas ended up pulling it off. And it was a just a fantastic afternoon. It was really did he exciting. shoot? Did... Thomas shoot two under on those three holes. Is that what it was? Something like that? Yeah, I think he birdied this. There's a three-hole playoff. I think he birdied the second hole and the third hole. They tied. Okay. They both They both had the same score on the first. I think it might have been a par. And then So is, the, is that the format? It is was it, aggregate. Yeah, but it's, it's not so, sun death. It wasn't sun death. It was the best okay. aggregate score over the three holes. Okay, because... Oftentimes it's just sudden death, right? Each major, so I think is each that, major is, that is different. A rule just for is that a new rule this year? Is it just for that tournament, or how does that work? No, I, to my recollection, each major has its own playoff setup. Like the Open okay. has, I think one of them is even like eighteen holes. I can't. It's a lot, and I think that's I, I the like Open. I like the three hole. The, the three hole is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, because you you know like the first hole, you're like, ooh, do you know, do they take kind of an advantage or you know whatever? But and you can play some strategy in three hole too, right? It's not just you know sudden death. You can't make a mistake. It's hey, if you know you've got a strength and you're gonna play these three holes and you got a likelihood on the second and third to shoot a birdie, play conservative yep. your first hole. And anyway, it was it was really interesting. Great afternoon of golf to watch. Nice, love to see it. Uh, well, hey, let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT, and then we're going to get into managing your pipeline. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power Express or Trucker's Edge. That also includes additional licenses. So even if you have a license and you're adding to it, use that link to add another one. Help support us over at Freight360. And you get a free month. And you get a free month. Good stuff. All right, so yeah, managing the pipeline. we, you know, we talked about what is a pipeline and a sales funnel and all that in a, cu- a couple of weeks ago, and 
I think this is really important to to dive into how to manage it because you know your your sales pipeline the quality of it's only as good as it's only as good as what you do with it, right? So if you don't have a pipeline, obviously that's not going to do you any good. But let's say you've got 200 leads, 300 leads in your pipeline. Well, you have to effectively manage them. Otherwise, it's not going to result in anything beneficial for you on the other side, right? You can put all these leads in the top of your funnel or in your pipeline, but nothing good comes out the other end if you don't properly progress these folks through your pipeline. And this, we're gonna, you know, we're going to talk through qualifying a lead and um, you know how do you manage the follow-up process you know what is the quality of this lead and we can't really prescribe a black and white method for this because so much of it is subjective in my opinion and a lot of it comes down to your level of experience and really like i said this off air before you get a gut feeling when you get off of a call and that you know based on how long you've been doing this and been in this in this business um you know you'll, you'll get a sense of was that call really good or are we still a little unsure about if this prospect's going to go anywhere because you know you have to determine at some point how much time are you going to spend on certain prospects and are there some prospects that you're just going to recycle and maybe check back six months down the road right um i think oftentimes new brokers they will have their list and they will just I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna call every single one of them every every few days, and that's not the best way to do it. You can you can unqualify somebody on the first call, right? Yes. I mean, it, and you shouldn't be calling them three days later to see if it's changed. So, mm-hmm. but again, um, a lot of that comes with repetition and just, um, you know, it, it's it's exposure to this to the to the industry and just a lot of experience doing it. So, and I think um, here's some things I'd like to add or define, right? Sales pipeline, sales funnel, why they're called a funnel or a pipeline is because in both of those analogies, water or liquid or whatever you put in it, right, goes from one side to the other. So if it's a pipeline, they're all coming in and you're pushing them through the other side, right? And it gets narrower. That's why it's a funnel, right? Because you start out with a lot and as you disqualify them, that group gets smaller. You should keep adding back here refilling the back of the funnel right over and over. And then our job is really to disqualify as much as qualify and move them through. And that process, right, has a name. It's usually referred to as a sales cycle. I don't necessarily know that I've ever agreed that it is actually a cycle because it's not really cyclical. It's more of a process, but how this is generally defined, right, is first step, you find leads, second step, connect with the leads, contact them, email, phone calls, in person. Third step is to qualify. Now, some of these happen in the same steps. Like you can connect and qualify to your point in one phone call. I can connect with them, find out whether or not like my benchmarks, if you're one person and a small shipper, if you're not shipping 20 full truckloads a week, then you're probably not gonna need a broker. Like that's just a rule of thumb I've always used. So there's your qualifying. Next step, we have presentation or needs analysis. I don't feel like you should ever be presenting yourself before you found a need. And I think that's one big caveat. If you look any of these up online, step four is usually a presentation. In sales- And that that involves a lot of questions and a lot of listening. And that's the whole point, right? We put a ton of questions, they're on our website, they're in our course, but and we put videos on them. Really presentation isn't you presenting everything, anything. It's you asking questions 
to establish whether or not they need what you're going to offer them. Because if you haven't found a need, all you're doing is just basically bragging about yourself, which doesn't help anybody get anywhere. So if you yep. haven't found a need, don't ever present, right? Step four. Step five. And let me stop you right there. Mm -hmm. I think that is that is a um, often one of the hiccups or the hurdles, or the, I guess the um, roadblocks that a lot of young people in sales, I don't mean young by age, I mean newer to the to the industry, right? Or just sales in general, this this business um, that they run into where they, they just, they go through this pitch. Like they create this elevator pitch or this sales script and they just start puking it out, right? Puke, puking words out and it's just like, you, you've, we've all heard a new sales rep or a new broker near us and they're giving their pitch and you're just like, oh my gosh, what are they what are they doing? Our company was founded in nineteen seventy eight and you know, <laughs> we were we were founded by three brothers and you know it's like no no one cares. It's like no a Wikipedia article. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but realistically that is often what happens. And it's okay when you're new to go through doing the wrong thing as long as you can learn from it and you know, kind of re remold and reshape that uh, that presentation, I guess, if you want to call it that. So. And here's the thing, right? Like think about anything you've ever bought from another human being. If they haven't asked you enough questions to find out what you're there to purchase in the first place, like do you ever feel comfortable like even listening to somebody? Like if you just sat down anywhere, a car dealership, in an insurance agent's office, anytime you buy anything from another person, right? Traditional sales. Somebody just starts telling you what you want, right? How do you feel about that? Does that make you want to talk to them more? Or does that make you feel like kind of disgusting and want to leave, like sleep? Exactly. Like, yep. like, how do you know what well, I want? You don't know what I'm here for. You didn't ask me so, anything. So that's, I remember, um, and uh, so I worked in at Best Buy when I was in college, right? It's, in, in my opinion, really great way to, to, to learn sales Absolutely. is to work retail at some point if you're new. Um, but I, I quickly learned, I sold a lot of computers for a while, and I quickly learned that um, if you didn't ask the right questions, you're basically, you're just trying to shove a product down somebody's throat that you have no idea if they're gonna actually need. And oftentimes, those are the people that are like, that just walk away from you. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Or, hey, I gotta go to the bathroom, I'll talk to you, I'll come back to you later. Or, hey, my wife's calling me, or whatever, right? But asking the right questions, like, hey, what are you gonna use this for? Or, you know, what what do you, what is your, you have to figure out what their need is, right? Someone that, yeah. that does video editing does not need the same kind of computer that someone who just needs to do it, you know, do word processing for college and write papers mm -hmm. or check their email. So, and the same thing goes with freight, right? Someone that ships, like you said, maybe one, two shipments a week versus 20 a week, or is it full truckload versus all they're doing is a couple um, pallets in the LTL world, or maybe they have a very niche um, type of <clears throat> business like oversized, overdimensional, overweight, hazmat, um, drayage, you name it, right? Multi-pick, multi-stop kind of um, uh, loads there. Very different needs, and your brokerage may or may not be a good fit or have the tools in place, or you might not have the experience to effectively help them out, right? So like oftentimes um, people come to me and they're like, hey, my customer has this, uh, you know, they have a need for LTL and I know nothing about it. So I'm like, well, you probably shouldn't be presenting them all these LTL options if you don't even know what you're talking about when it comes to LTL. Yes. So anyway, not to get too off topic, but those are some of the things you have to determine is um, qualifying isn't just, are they a good fit for you, but are you a good fit for them? I think it kind of goes two ways.
Absolutely. And again, if you haven't hit step two, which is connection, then you're really just talking at somebody because you've got no rapport. If you don't have any back and forth or any of that small talk, then you're already dead in the water. After yep. present, typically kind of overcoming objections. Now, again, one other caveat, these don't all happen in one phone call, by the way, for everybody out there. Like these are gonna happen over multiple, multiple phone calls, typically eight to 12. So again, yep. you're gonna, you might be finding a need, going a little back and forth and then getting off the phone and then coming back. And then you might be going right back into that need and then you're gonna hear some of the next things, which are objections, reasons that, hey, they're pushing back, whether it's money, whether it's, and it's usually rate, whether it's time, pickup, what have you. After that, Technically, it's the close of the sale, or in our industry, it's you getting a load or you getting set up. We are one of the unique industries where there are two sales to be made. You've got to get onboarded and you've got to be getting freight because you can be yep. onboarded and make no money and move no loads. You can also- and getting freight, getting freight even breaks down to, here's a load, get it covered if you can, or give me a rate for this load, right? And yep. there's, that, it breaks down quite a bit. But it is it is important that we that you hit on that step of getting set up because oftentimes um, your brokerage might have a credit process and your customer prospective customer might have a contract or some kind of onboarding procedure that you need to go through to get authorized as a transportation provider for them. So, like we said, there's no there's no black and white prescription for this because every customer can be different, right? And every yeah. every person that different. you talk to is a human being, right? They're not a robot. So they're gonna have their own their own way of talking, their own um, preferred method of communicating, whether that's email or on the phone or texting sometimes. Um, so repetition is gonna be is gonna be key here before you feel like you're totally confident in how this I'll call it a process, right? It's not really a cycle in my opinion, but how this yeah. process works. And your last step is penetration. Once you've got onboarded, you move a load or two, it does not end there. That's when your frequency of talking to them should actually increase. Yes, yep. Absolutely, you've gotta curate that relationship and you gotta, you gotta tender, you know, make sure it's taken care of and, you know, keep it going. Well, and I was using that so. example in a class earlier this week, like, you know, I'd, I think I talked about it in the show, right? Like most of my conversations with my customers are like, 95% personal stuff. And then like yep. two or three minutes of like the business stuff. Like I might be talking to somebody in procurement. Again, I was talking to Thomas, we were like, they were painting their house. We're talking about having things that have nothing to do with transportation. But again, how does that make him feel? That's the connection. Cause I genuinely did care what was happening and I was curious. That builds a bond, that helps build that rapport. So when we get to the problems, there's trust there to begin with. Like we yep. can talk candidly. We're not trying to be somebody else. It's, hey, what's really going on, Ben? Hey, here's what's going on, Tom. I got jammed up. The guy, honestly, the driver lied to me. I got stuck. This is the position. That's how you set the tone to be able to manage the relationship. So one of the things that I always do um, whenever talking to, and I, I recommend this for everybody too, is how to, effectively using your CRM. So when you get off of a call, right? Or whether it's, maybe it's in person, usually it's on the, on the phone. Um, write down a lot of notes. They don't, you don't have to write like a, you know, a great grammar formatted review or whatever of a call, but write a lot of notes down and it doesn't have to be all business related. Like you said, a guy talking about painting, right? Put that in there. If they talk about That's their kids or sports or whatever, 
put those notes in there so you can refresh yourself and remind yourself the next time you hop on a call with them or talk to them and you could ask hey how did that go anyway i know you were talking about your kid's soccer game or you're getting your uh, getting some drywall done at the house did, did you guys get it all taken care of those are icebreakers those are ways to to build rapport and it gains trust people people become more familiar with you and that will set you apart from the average person who's just, hey, our company was started in 1978 by three brothers, blah, 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 right? You, you become a, a human being and you, you can establish a personal connection. So. so, and I can't express how important that is enough, right? We're gonna talk about taking leads through the sales process, right? And you writing down, first off, what you shouldn't be writing. You shouldn't be writing a book report after every call. This isn't a process where you're sitting down to spend 10 minutes to rewrite everything you think happened. My process, and again, everybody has their own little proclivities, but like it's a shorthand that I've developed that I use as I'm talking to somebody. And I always do that as I'm talking to somebody because again, when you're really prospecting, these moments and minutes in between calls add up. If you've got two or three minutes in between every call and you're wondering why you can only make 10 phone calls in an hour, this is why. Because you're spending 30 minutes in between calls just for those 10. Now, let me ask you this. Are you mm-hmm. a uh, type it in the computer as it happens or are you a pen and paper and then type it in afterward? Well, so for prospecting, I type as I go. For operational okay. stuff, I'm pen and paper because okay. what I'm getting from like operational, it's usually about multiple loads and multiple situations. So it goes in a pen and paper because then it's usually going into multiple places in my computer. Um, okay. I might have notes about a future shipment, a current shipment, an update here, and then what they need me to quote in the future. Now, I have, I have always been a pen and paper and then for everything, pen mm-hmm. and paper. And then I, I don't know why I feel like if someone hears me typing on the other end. It's it comes across strange. I don't know if that's just me or what, but I've always I've always been a pen and paper guy. I go through a ton of notebooks. I go through like a new notebook every couple of weeks. Yeah. So. I have a stack of filled ones in my closet and a stack of empty ones right next to it. I keep the old yep. ones for some reason, even though I rarely if ever go through the old ones. I just feel like. But, Either way, the takeaway here is to be taking notes, however you do it, whether you're typing into your CRM or your pen and paper, um, taking notes throughout because um, you think about, there's like a quote about how much people retain of what they hear, right? So if you're in a college class or high school class, whatever, if you're just listening to a lecture, you're gonna retain, it's like, I think it's like 10% of what you hear. Yes. That's why you're supposed to be taking notes so you can go back, oh yeah, we talked about this them. and this. And, exactly, so definitely so, be documenting your calls. Well, anyway, it goes right back to that quote we were talking about before, right before the, right before the episode. Tell me and ben I forget. Proverb guy. Tell me and I Let's forget. Teach me and I remember. Involve me and I learn, right? You yep. tell somebody something, it doesn't get you anywhere. But yet we do that all the time. I'm guilty of it and I catch myself doing it all the time. It's the same thing, what's gonna happen in a prospecting call. Back to one last thing on the note side to point out, you should realize that like you're not writing these for other people to read. These aren't outgoing emails. Way, you, way I feel you should be writing the notes in your CRM are shorthand that you can read. Because again, its only point is to remind you for the next call. So you're like, my shorthand is like GK, gatekeeper, no answer, NA, did not answer, DNA, right? Like LV, left voicemail, voicemail. right? Like these are things that will save you a lot of time. And it doesn't matter if you use ours, create your own, but like shorthand, how many full truckloads, FTL, how many LTLs, LTL, just the number, maybe the time of year that's busy. I just write busy season, 
March, Dash, whatever, June. And then every first name of everybody you get on every call should be in there. So if a gatekeeper yep. mentions her boss, both names should be in there. If a gatekeeper mentions another gatekeeper's name, you put that in there. And why do you think you would wanna know the other gatekeeper's names? Because when you call them, if the other person answers, do you know the second easiest way to get through a gatekeeper? Is to know their name when they pick up the phone. And if you yep. remember the first one's voice and her name's Sally, and there's only one other one and her name's Kim, when you hear a different voice, oh, hey, Kim, how you doing this morning? Nine times out of 10, I now don't sound like a salesperson. I sound like yep. somebody she should be familiar with. There, there's, a, there's a lot of correlation that goes into exactly what you just said there. So if you were to call a shipper and ask for shipping or receiving versus saying, hey, can I talk to Sally or can I talk to Bill, right? It's a, you know, well, huge I'll correlation give, I'll give everyone better. We talked about it a lot too in our, we had a lot of content on getting through gatekeepers and overcoming objections. I'll give so. everyone better. Hey Kim, is John around? I was talking to Carla a couple days ago. She said this morning it would be a good time to reach him. Now, I've never talked to the decision maker, John. I got blown off by the other gatekeeper three days ago, but just because the other one answered and I knew those two names, I basically just pulled their names and leveraged their names to try to get through to get right to the decision maker, right? Yep. Might Absolutely. not have gotten anywhere in the first call. All I had were those two names and those are extremely valuable going forward. Yep. So let's talk through the uh, managing your pipeline, this process. Um, so what, you, you have your uh, those steps pulled up still. I know you probably pulled it from yeah, some uh, I got them. some website there. And again, the the steps you gave, uh, depending on where you see it, there's different like branded sales processes or cycles depending on what people call them. They typically all they might be called different things, but they all kind of follow the exact same um, steps to to some extent. So what I like to do after. Um, after a call is you got to determine what should my next step be, right? And this could be, this depends on a lot of things. This could be, did you qualify them? Did you disqualify them? Did you get a hold of them? Did you just talk to a gatekeeper? Did you leave a voicemail? There's so many different things that could happen, but I like to, I always like to think ahead and say, what is my next step? Am I going to follow up? Am I going to send an email? Am I going to follow up tomorrow? Am I going to follow up this afternoon? Am I going to follow up in two weeks, six months? whatever it might be. And that all depends on what actually happens. So, and this is where having a good CRM where you can quickly input notes and set a follow-up task is gonna save you a ton of time and keep you super organized. So, what? Um, let me ask you this. So, with your, um, do you set your follow-ups right after you get off the call or how do you typically do that? I do it before I finish out that contact card. So, okay. I'm putting my notes in and I'm making that decision based on how I feel at that time. Cause that's usually when yep. I have the best impression of how long it seems like I should wait before I reach back out to that person again. Yep. And again, like I said, your your gut instinct is gonna speak a lot into this and it, it takes some time, but when, if you're brand new, um, we can give you a couple of rule, you know, rule of thumb type things here. If you don't get an answer, I think it is perfectly reasonable to, to call back within the next couple of days, right? I would not call them back three times in the same day because then your number is remembered probably by them. Like this person called me three times and I have not called them. I almost get annoyed when I when people do that to me. Oh, like I do. They call me three times in an hour. I'm like, I'll give come you on, man. I'll like, give you an example this week. I'll call you back when I'm able to. You know I'll give I mean? you an example that happened in the past week. So you and I were looking at some virtual assistants to pick up some work for us to do some things around the company. And yep. 
I responded to one and they called me five times that day, three times the next day. And that alone just made me not want to work with their company because yeah. it really frustrated me because I'm like, look, like to your point, that's exactly what went through my head. Like I emailed you. I said I would reach out. I will set a discussion. It's not helping you gain favor with me by interrupting me six times from the same phone number all day. It's just irritating I had a, me. I had a similar one. So um, I won't say the name of the company, but they're a big competitor of, of Lean Solutions Group. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that yeah. in a little bit. But the, this person reached out to me and you know was like, they've sent me like seven emails um, wanting, wanting to try and propose their, their staffing work for uh, Pierce Worldwide, where I work, and I finally was like, "Hey, um, you know, I don't know if you've heard me from Freight 360, but we're uh, we're and you know we endorse Lean Solutions. We're one of your competitors." And um, I said, "I've talked to so and so at your company before. You guys, you know, you guys do a great thing. It's just not something that's that's up our alley. But I appreciate you know you reaching out. Not only did she not respond to my email, she called me like a couple of times and kept emailing me as if I like." I don't said know if nothing. it was a, as if like said a canned nothing. email campaign or what, but she kept emailing me the rest of the week as if I never replied to her. So I just, I just started like not even, I just started deleting the emails. But that goes to show like, pay attention to what your prospect is telling you. Just if, if, they, if they tell you like, hey, don't call me, don't call them three more times or keep sending them emails. Like let it cool off for a little bit. And then you can always go back down the road and see if things have changed or if there's a new person there but you know, and that's that, that's a pretty obvious one. If someone gives you a blatant like no, go go f off type thing, uh, which I didn't do, but I, I mean I was I was pretty respectful about it. Um, well, here's the yeah, other. Just, th- you're supposed to show the lack of uh, attention to detail. Exactly, and here's that here's another proverb for you, right? Like God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use them proportionately. Like and in sales, I think people feel like they need to talk the other person into working with them, and it's exactly the opposite you're actually listening until you get the other person to work with you. And I know that yep. sounds counterintuitive, but really the only times I'm ever speaking is to just initiate more conversation from the other person. Like I'm saying just enough to get them to talk some more and then shutting up and just really, and that that's a different, right? there's a difference between like passively listening and actively listening, where you are literally listening to their tone of voice, you're listening to what's happening in the background, you're listening to their inflections, and you're listening to what they're saying. And they are giving you so much there, and so many people are just so worried about getting to the next call or just getting off this call that they're just passing up the most valuable thing that happens during that time. And that's yep. the other person's personality, their tone of voice, why they're saying what they're saying, not just what they're saying, right? Are they irritated? Exactly. Is it a good time of day? Do they sound rushed? Does it sound like they're overwhelmed? Because guess what? If they sound overwhelmed and rushed, they probably could use a good broker to work with. Or maybe they're just having an overwhelming day and things are blowing up. And maybe that's telling you, you call it a different day and a different time of day to maybe reach them at a better time. Like there is something to be garnered without them even saying words in many of the cases. Yep, absolutely. So one of the things that I've, I've always done is um, try to categorize a lead and that will correlate to how the, you know, when I'm gonna follow up or how I'm gonna follow up. Yep. So somebody that you, let's say for the purpose of these examples, um, you did talk to somebody, right? We're not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna exclude voicemails yep. and no answers and stuff like that. 
So let's say you talk to somebody and the, the call was like 30 seconds, right? It could have been what you just said. They seem stressed, bad time of day, bad day of the week, whatever the case might be. Um, compare that to, I had a 20 minute call with somebody and we talked about business, we talked about their personal life, what they like, what they don't like, their hobbies, you know, family, all kinds of stuff, right? Those are two very different types of conversations. Um, one of them, the the latter, right, where you have a nice long conversation, I'm going to prioritize that heavily, right? I'm not going to overload them and call back again later that same day unless they've asked me to. Um, but I'm gonna, I am going to follow up with them in a in a fairly uh, quick manner. So probably that same week. It could be a, the next day. It could be in a couple of days. It all depends on the context of that conversation. But somebody that very bad call, lasted 20, 30 seconds, whatever. I'm gonna give them a little bit. I might call them back the next week. I might call them back at the end of the week. I'm gonna give it some time. Um, you might talk to somebody that you, you, you've you kind of disqualified or you're not totally sure if, if you're a good fit. Um, those ones, you, I might wait a couple of weeks, right? So I used to call them like follow-up one, follow-up two, follow-up three, uh, one being like the highest priority um, and then the further you go down the numbers, like three was pretty low priority. And then you might have someone that you talk to and you, you pretty much have disqualified them and you're gonna do what I would call recycle that lead, which means you're not getting rid of it, you're not gonna delete that lead, um, but maybe that's a three month follow up or it could be a six month follow up. You might talk to a customer that's, that does seasonal shipping and you know there's no benefit to calling them next week because nothing's gonna change, right? But if I know their busy season starts in September, I'm gonna probably get in touch with them in June or July, right? A couple months before their busy season starts, plant the seeds there. So I like to categorize those um, as a type of follow-up based on what happened. And then in addition, if you have a good hot lead, I try to schedule, roughly schedule that follow-up on the phone with them before I hang up. And that could be, hey, um, so it's let's say it's it's Wednesday, right? Okay, great, so you guys have some loads coming up for uh, for Monday. Um, can I give you a shout, uh, let's say Thursday or Friday and, and take a look at what you guys have solidified for your customers and um, see what we can do for you. Get that locked down while you're on the phone so they're not just randomly side-blinded by a call from you that they may not answer, so. I think that's all pretty much in line with what I do. If I'm having a, a long enough or a, a good conversation somewhere in there i am going to find something in the future that is going to give me my follow-up reason whether it's a yes. shipment a load something happening in that person's life something that's coming up a project anything that gives me a reason to follow up and i'm probably going to say hey you know you said that's going to be coming in friday maybe i'll give you a buzz around there and see how that's going now the only thing i won't really add much more on that but i will add some things to the ones that go sideways like maybe i call and somebody's super flustered frantic and dropping f-bombs not at me but just you could hear that's the situation over there i'm gonna guess you're gonna go with a pattern interrupt but let's hear it no i'm actually gonna get out of the call but i'm gonna call back like three days later and i'm gonna call back like very empathetic hey nate how, how's everything going over there and you're gonna go, what, who is this? Uh, Nate, I was, I was catching up with you Tuesday morning. It was definitely seemed like you were having some issues over there. How's everything going over there? You having a rough morning? Did today get any better? And usually, not always, but I'd say 60% of the time, I can get somebody to tell me about what happened that was bad, because they just want to share it. They just want to get yeah. that off their chest. They don't really usually get an opportunity. They're like, yeah, you know what? It was just a shit show or whatever. I had three trucks not show up. My boss is screaming at me. It was just one of those days. Now I can grab that as my connection and then take that into a conversation. 
So something I want to hit on there is, and you kind of alluded to it, is you said have a reason to call. Um, there's a, uh, some I forget who it was, somebody told me in the past, like, touching base is only for <sighs> baseball and softball. It should it's not be worst. for sales and for following up, right? You shouldn't call someone and say, hey, I just wanted to touch base. It's the worst. Think how you it, feel when somebody calls you. Yeah, it irritates the shit like out of me. It's like a placeholder, like, yeah. okay. Well, you don't have anything have better to do? What's that? It's like, you don't have anything better to do? Like, what What also <laughs> are you like, what kind of, like you're just sitting around checking in on people? Like. <laughs> exactly. So having having a um, an actual reason to call somebody is is crucial. And you might ask yourself like, well, I don't really know what reason I might have. This could be industry news that may be relevant to them. It could be a, a something from another call that you were on and you're like, hey, I was just talking to so-and-so over at this company and you know they've been running into this issue. Are you guys seeing the same thing over at your shop? Um, but have it, having some kind of reason, but if you can have something concrete from your last conversation, like you just said, those are great ways to, to have a purpose for your call. And it, it shows that you're not just quote unquote touching base, right? You actually have a reason for why you're calling them. So it gives you relevance. And here's the thing, we used to do this, and this wasn't, I can't remember what comments I, I remember, but I'm not gonna say it out loud, but what we used to do in the morning was we would go as a team and we'd go, who has big sales calls today? Like who has some calls lined up that you're expecting to like make some progress on, right? Maybe not necessarily close business, but like what do you got important on your on your agenda today? And as a group of a handful of us or 10 of us, we would all throw out like the big calls we had and we would brainstorm things that you could use as the reason you were talking about, whether it was industry, whether something happened, a truck breaking down in their area, literally anything we could come up with. And we would do that for each one of our calls so that we could come up with some good reason because it's the most ineffective thing you can do. And if you just spend five or 10 minutes just on your big calls, not every call, coming up with something or having some ammunition, it's gonna go so much farther. And this is why we always say you should group your prospects together when you're gonna be calling them. This is why I'm calling people that ship the same commodity in the same day or in the same afternoon, because to your point, I'm gonna end up with that information. If yeah. the guy Jim at Acme Steel couldn't get four trucks loaded today because it's super tight out there because a thunderstorm came through last night, guess what I'm gonna be using on every other call in that neck of the woods that day? Hey, do you guys, how, did your, how was your capacity this morning? I know a big storm rolled through. In fact, if a big storm comes through, I will then go in my prospecting and pull every prospect that is close to that storm or zip code and I will call them that day because I finally yep. have something to talk to them about. Even the, maybe even the debtor leads, like the ones that are you know priority three and four because that's the hardest thing to come up with is to have something to talk about. Yeah, so... Um Snowstorms in the Northeast, I have found, is big. So um, New York will often do this thing where if there's high winds from a snowstorm or whatnot, they will ban empty tractor trailers from the major highway system. So for that reason, you know that that's going to cause a, a, a short-term hiccup, but still a hiccup in capacity in that exact area. So it's kind of like ambulance chasing. I know you've called that before. This could be for hurricanes. This could be for snowstorms. Um, it could be it could be tornadoes. I mean, a whole bunch of stuff. But yes, hundred percent. And hey, maybe maybe you don't have the solution or the you know the answer for these people. You can't get them a truck because you you know you, you can't just 
snap your fingers and make it all go away, but you have a reason to talk to them and you can establish some rapport and get your foot in the door and have that first or maybe second conversation. So yeah, weather's huge. The fires in California, I've used a lot prospecting through California. How are they affecting you guys? And just, I mean, that's mostly why I started watching the news again <laughs> later in life was that's where I could find those things. Yep. Bunch of tornadoes coming through Texas, going all the way up through the middle of the country. You just have like a swath of the country that you can prospect for the next two or three days as that storm goes through. And you have something to talk about with every one of them because they've all experienced it. Whether their power went out, whether they didn't go to work that morning, and they are genuinely going to be interested to share that experience with you, which is how we connect as human beings. That's all connecting is. Exactly. So one last thing I want to hit on here before we we move on to the Q&A section is, you know, when you're moving a prospect through your pipeline, you're going to see if you're doing it properly, you're going to have a series of emails and notes and tasks in your CRM, depending on which one you use, it's going to maybe look different, but you should be able to quickly pull up that CRM record or however you have it set in your system and do a quick unload or yeah, I guess refresh on what it is. Okay, yep, I talked to them you know, three times in the last month, here's what was going on, boom, ready to go. Uh, so th- that's the importance of taking notes and tracking your emails, logging your calls, all that stuff. And if you, you, know, if you can, and some companies do this and others don't, maybe you wanna re-listen to one of your calls. So if, you, if your CRM includes record, call recordings and you know there's something very important on one of these calls, Mark down like a timestamp, like, hey, it's 17 minutes in this call or three minutes in this call. Um, boom, I, w- I want to go back and listen to that for just really quick and remember what was going on. So you should be able to quickly be able to just refresh your memory on how the last call went. And that way, boom, you're ready to throw on that headset or pick up the phone and get after well, it. And I'm going to just to drive that point home, right? For every person out there, think about how you feel when somebody that you maybe aren't that close with remembers things about you, remembers your kid's birthday sends you a card on your anniversary, right? Or just remembers that you were going on a vacation and asked you how it went. Or remembered that like somebody in your family was retiring and you mentioned it in a phone call, right? Or just in a conversation over dinner. Think about how you feel about those people in your life. Those are probably your closest friends, right? The people that you wanna talk with and spend more time with, right? What this system really does and what's always stuck with me is I'm like, I'm basically outsourcing my memory to my CRM. I don't have to remember any of this shit. (laughs) But guess what? Every single time I get on a call, I sound like the most thoughtful, considerate human being. And I am, I am full, full honestly, like I'm not that kind of person. You can't remember everything you're ever told in day-to-day life. But in this setting in business, that's why all of these things are so important. And that's also why like later, once they become customers, sending handwritten notes when these dates and things come up, that's how you really differentiate yourself from the other brokers. And that's how you end up with customers that stick with you for a decade, five years, that aren't turning you over every time the rates turn over. That's how you really build a foothold in this industry and get customers for life, or as long as you're ever gonna be able to. Yeah, remember that people do business with people that they know, like, and trust. And we have hit on all three of those through our our discussion on this today is they're gonna know you by the more times that they talk to you. Um, they're going to trust you by you bringing relevance and not just calling to touch base, right? And they're going to like you by having a personal connection with you with exactly what you just said. You, you bring up something that a normal business person or the average business person may not remember or bring up in a conversation. So. Um, there's your little tips 
to success today. So uh, we got three questions or two questions today, but first I wanna give a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. I know I brought them up earlier. Um, they've got a great near nearshore staffing model with offices down in South America and Colombia. So if you're trying to put bodies in seats, if you're trying to um, fill a role for an account manager or operations, track and trace, back office, whatever the case may be, they put them through a very in-depth training and you can go through a hiring process, pick the best fit or best candidate for your organization. Maybe you maybe just need one, maybe you need two or three. Um, and all you gotta do then is show them the the, the way that you, you know your TMS works and what you want them to do specifically and boom, you're up and running. The, the labor market is extremely tight right now in the US, I think they said like, about half of the uh, working population has taken a new job in the last two years or something like maybe like 60% or it was a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's your, your near shore staffing model there. So check them out at leangroup.com and um, let them know your friends over at Freight 360 sent you there. So, okay. Uh, and hey, we're going to be having Trey and we're going to be doing an episode with Lean, I think two weeks. In, in two weeks. Yep. yep. So stay tuned for that one. All right. Today's First question is, what tech tools do I need for my brokerage? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend um, check out our content specifically um, around this. So we actually we had a we've had a TMS video recently. We've um, done episodes on CRM. Um, I'm gonna tell you that tech tools um, outside of your basic home office, right? Your internet, computer, and all that good stuff. Um, a good TMS to keep you organized. So if you're brand new and you don't know what a TMS is, it's your transportation management system. That is the software or online platform that you use every day to manage all of your loads, your carriers, your customers, everything. Um, so a good TMS keeps you organized. A CRM, like we mentioned today, to track your, your progress with your leads and conversation with your customers, that's gonna be crucial. Um, and I'll hit on load boards too. So getting connected with, like for, you know, DAT obviously is a, is a trusted partner of ours. Load boards are gonna connect you with um, the available capacity that's out there. There's rating tools integrated in there. You can get rate forecasts. Uh, I think those those are three big ones. Um, there's other little ones too, carrier like vetting. the ability to add tracking. Um, carrier vetting, I think. Carrier monitoring. I think having a, I think two that I really want to stress, especially where fraud's been as prevalent as a carrier vetting tool and my carrier packets, I think are really useful as a time saver. Depending on how many loads you're moving, it really does help you onboard your carriers a little faster. Um, I don't think it's a must have, but I think it's, if you're, if you're a one person shop, it's going to be needed pretty quickly because it eats up quite a bit of your time. Yeah, so on the carrier monitoring part, um, I mean, I've, the amount of double brokering issues that I've seen in the last like month has been absolutely insane. It, it reminds me of, I think it was about a year ago, right? That article that Freightwaves released um, mm -hmm. about the, the companies in California. Um, I forget what the names of them were, but they, like, all in like, that Glendale, Inglewood area. Um, but it's been, it's been prevalent a lot lately. So using things like you know, checking for freight guards, carrier 411, um, TIA watchdog, FMCSA, looking to see, you know, how many inspections has this carrier had? How long have they had their authority? How many trucks do they have? Um, th you know, these things, they're, they're great ways to prevent yourself from becoming the victim of a double brokering scheme. Um, Losing so yeah, lots we of had, money. I had dealt with one the other day and literally the the carrier, when we figured it out, low got delivered just fine, but the carrier legitimately like admitted to it and was like, yeah, I, you know, I ended up, our truck, you know, needed maintenance, couldn't do it. So someone else gave it to another company and I'm like, they just admitted to double brokering. Yeah. Like, oh, nuts. So 
yeah, headaches. All right, and our last question is, should I take a job at a big box brokerage? What is the possible downside? Um, so, you know, it could be a C.H. Robinson, TQL, Integrity Express. Um, really, really good for training, I will tell you that. Now, the I, I never worked at a big box brokerage, um, but the, the common trend that I've seen with these folks is that they find it hard to transition from that company to another brokerage without running into the non-compete, non-solicit legal battle, right? So again, like I said, really good training because obviously if they've got thousands of brokers and they're a growing company, they're doing something right when it comes to educating and, and training their folks on how the business works and how to be successful at it. But because they invest so much time and money into that, they want to keep you locked down to their company and not let you go work somewhere else. Um, you worked at a big box place. What would you... How would you answer that? Any any possible downsides outside of the, the legal side? Yeah, I mean, other upsides, culture, energy. When you're exposed to that many people, there's a lot of people that are very good. There's a wide range of people. You're gonna people that are very poor, they're gonna be rolled out the door soon, and people very, very good, right? So you get to learn, I feel like, much faster. Other downside though that wasn't mentioned is prospects. Like the biggest yes. barrier to getting business is getting a prospect in your name before you can even close them, right? Because if you're at a company that's five, 6,000 people, right? And every one of them has got 100 or 200 leads, like you're talking hundreds of thousands of companies that are tied up in a prospecting dispute. You can't even call without flagging a policy. And I would yep. say that and the non-competes that most of them are willing to pursue, um, or the two big drawbacks. Like most people I know have sat out their non-competes or have gone head on and have to pay some type of legal fees to get out of it, yep. or they just moved to California. So there's that option. Because <laughs> there are a handful of states that just don't enforce non-competes. So hey, if you're living in one of those states and yep. you're considering it, most of them don't operate in those states though, by the way, for that very reason. I saw I saw a non-compete, I think it was last week, a guy was showing me his, he's like, what do you think? Um, it was for three years nationwide. It was so broad and I was like, I'm like, they're just trying to cast a huge net here and like, I'm like, this is a scare tactic. Yeah. It, I can't picture a judge in most states ever upholding this if it even got to court. Um, but they do it as a scare tactic. Yeah. You know, no 24 year old, kid wants to think that they're going to get sued like that that it does its job yep. nine times out of ten so oh see, there you go there's your big box um pros and cons so good stuff man good uh good episode we'll we got a lot more to talk about when it comes to prospecting in your pipeline uh and we'll, we'll definitely hit on that stuff in upcoming episodes but uh anything else that uh you want to hit on today man yeah i'll give a uh, this happened to me now it is literally happening to me as we're talking and has happened to me since yesterday afternoon and it's worth pointing out right so we talk about when you have bad news to give it early right because it gets worse with time right well we don't I never haven't really talked about what happens when a carrier doesn't tell you the truth and you end up in the middle looking like an asshole because you're giving them updates meanwhile the dispatcher doesn't really know because they can't get a hold of the carrier right this happens quite often What's happening with yeah. me is we had two normal reefer containers that needed move from one terminal to the next. Well, it blew up into a giant issue because they need to be on certain chassis. Once they were, they couldn't be taken off at that terminal. So then they couldn't be unloaded. Well, since they're reefers, they can't just sit there unmonitored because again, if the reefer unit shuts off, 
you've got a claim and all the cargo is useless. People don't notice that like when they're on a container, they're not always attached to a truck. So you can't just leave these units. So what happened is drive, dispatcher, driver's on the way, they'll be there tonight, no issue by 10 o'clock. Okay, great, let everybody know. Well, these are two really important shipments because the ones that always go wrong happen to be the highest priority in the whole company, right? So within 30 minutes, I have nine managers, senior managers and executives on an email about just two containers. That really shouldn't be that big of a deal. And I'm giving updates. It'll be there tonight. So I get an email at six o'clock this morning. They didn't arrive, where are they? Call a dispatcher. They were there at 11 o'clock last night and five this morning. Now they've looped in the terminal. So we're literally emailing the place they're telling us they've dropped these containers at. And they're emailing back. We walked across the parking lot. They're not here. Call the dispatcher. Driver's in line waiting for a lift. Send that back in an email. What do you think the email comes back? There's no driver here. So every one of these updates to everybody at my customer, as high as it goes, I look like I have no idea what's going on. Now, what's worth pointing out is what I've done earlier in my career and what most people do. What do most people do in this situation when they call a dispatcher back? Um, start, they get pissed start off screaming. and they back them into a corner. Yeah. Right. And then what happens is you went from having poor communication to no communication. The situation gets worse with your customer and you now don't have the ability to fix it, right? And why it's yep. worth- you, you, look, you look like an incompetent yes. problem solver at this point. So now what I did and went back actually right before we recorded this was just had the come to Jesus phone call with the dispatcher. Like, look, I genuinely don't care where he is. I just care that you tell me where he is so I can stop sending updates that make me look like I don't know what I'm doing because and it's another example of most people create their, their own problems in life. I had to call that dispatcher six times this morning. I would have only had to call him once if he would have told me the truth at 6.30 and said, the guy won't be there until noon today. Fine, it doesn't need to be delivered this morning. It just needed there by the end of the day. But when they feel pressure, they feel pressure to give you an answer that'll make you go away. So then you end up with an answer that isn't true and then create a whole snowball of issues, right? When the reality is, yep. is the best way to deal with these things is to go right at them and to do it in a way that is like inclusive. Hey, we're in this together. What do we know? What do we don't know? Have you reached the driver yet? And what I found out was he hadn't spoken to the driver and that was the whole problem. And he just felt bad. So he's trying to make me feel better, but it's making it all get worse, right? So why I thought it was really worth pointing out is like, these are the things that are worth, and I know because like literally I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated and so angry that I was gonna go to the gym and go ride the stationary bike for 20 minutes to just calm down. <laughs> like, cause like 14 hours of me just looking like an idiot. <laughs> and I'm like, yep. but again, when you calm down and you take a deep breath, walk away from your desk, come back, usually come back clear heading with a better answer. And I thought it was just a real world experience that was worth pointing out. That's good, that's good. Good stuff. All right, man. Well, uh any final thoughts here? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. And if you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.